continue along in this book of Hosea to the shortest chapter of Hosea, Hosea chapter 3. You know, it's a, it's a quick one, comparatively speaking, so uh, you can either hope I'm the same way as Hosea, or uh, just know that, uh, you know, uh, strange things happen sometimes. Though the text may be smaller, I really believe there is a lot here as we continue in that we as God's people need to be aware of as we interact in this world. We've, we've sung, some, sung some songs today, and I hope you will see how they, in their own way, will uh, coincide with what these words are helping us to try to live out. When we all get to heaven, and sometimes, and rightfully so, we can look so futuristic that we forget that we're not there yet, and we have a job here to do as God's people. So I want to just ask the question this morning as we get started. What does our world need? Now, I'm not looking for an answer. I want us to contemplate this. And I'm really not even looking if we were going to sit down in groups for a answer. I really don't think there's just one answer. There's no silver bullet. Now, you'll say, well, the world needs Jesus. Yes, but that's, that doesn't really answer the question. It does, but it doesn't. How are we going to show Jesus to our world? I mean, Jesus is the answer, but now we have to go even deeper. Go, well, what does that look like? And that's what I'm asking here. What does our world need in our time of a changing culture? We, as the church, sometimes will look for that silver bullet, for that one-size-fits-all approach, for that one thing that will solve all the problems. And friends, there's not one answer. But how we answer this question in the days and months and years to come will determine what ministry here looks like. What does St. Paris need? Not what did it need five or ten years ago, but what does it need today? And sometimes we, we can be very good at or speculating what we think it needs without actually going out and about and just noticing and listening to what is percolating up. Or sometimes Rightfully or wrongfully, we as God's people, we think, well, I know what they need, so I'm going to just give it to them, and they will like it. Sometimes that may work. And then sometimes it's, what are you, whoa, what is this? You know, if, if I think I hear Larry cough, you know, and I know what Larry needs before he even knows that I'm just going to go over there and I'm going I'm to have a spoonful of something. And I've got plenty of somethings next door I can give him. And I try to force it in. There's a good chance Larry's going to go, well, what, what is this? And I'll just say, oh, it's good for you here. You know? Now, Larry doesn't have, like, ah, I don't have any hair in the front. Because, you know, if we have hair in the front, if you pull that just a little bit, the mouth opens up. You know, and you get, I can get it in there. You know, but but even then, it, he may swallow it once, but he may never 
trust as that comes way again, we may go, oh, oh. We, as God's people, have to be careful how we try to answer this. Do we sit down and just say, what, what, how can I best help today? What do, you, what do you need today? Or just listen and not listen to fix the other person. What does our world need? I believe we will hear things pop up that will inform how we do what we do. And as we seek to be God's people where, yes, we share Jesus with people, but we don't want to be those people who ram Jesus down someone's throat. But they just get choked up. And they never swallow. And so we have to be careful. But the part of the issue with this is we also have to realize our world is filled with pride and self-centeredness. We're naturally, it's all about what we have to gain. And sometimes when we listen, we've got to listen not just to, to hear what they may need, but also we have to listen with the idea that their needs matter. Uh, Paul in the book of Philippians, you know, to the, to the early church, you know, reminds them that they are to, uh, you know, in humility value others above yourself. Do nothing, he starts out with, of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, look, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of others, which is the example of Jesus, as he would go on to say. And if we're not careful, we fall into this trap. What is in my best interest? Or as churches, sometimes we get in this trap, what is in the best interest of those of us who are already here? And that's important. It's not a need or to be, uh, meet the needs of those of us who are here and have been here or those of us who have yet to come to a church. It's a both-and approach. But the church doesn't exist to meet my needs or your needs. But to faithfully live out the calling of Jesus. And if we're not careful, we can start to try to share what we think is needed and what happens is we end up with a bunch of noise, a bunch of clanging. I don't know about you, but I, the world has gotten louder and louder. And sometimes what happens is, you know, uh, when, when people start to get loud and you want to say something, what do you do? You get louder. And, and, and we can very much be just adding to the noise. You know, there's been a lot of uh, in the headlines about the fighting going on between God's people recently. You know, in fact, I had a phone call this week with uh, uh, someone from our region where they uh, wanted to bring me in the loop with something. And it comes down to there's just a lot of fighting going on in one of our sister churches. It, it, it hurts to hear. It hurts to hear the, the struggle in this uh, fellow believer's voice. What do I do? You know, 
There's a lot of fighting, and the result of that is there's just a lot of noise. In fact, Paul, once again, in, in 1 Corinthians, talks about we can, I mean, I'm going to paraphrase, we can have all the right words to speak. We can be faithful to the truth. We can do great things. But if we miss a component, all we are is like playing cymbals and drums that are just going off again and again and again and again. And somebody's just wanting to do what uh, we wish we could do all the time, and that is hit the mute button. And sometimes we must remember that the calling of God for his people is to be different. From Exodus into Leviticus, Throughout all of the New Testament, the refrain that comes out again and again, and it comes out in the book of Hosea, though they're missing the point, is I, as your Lord, as God, am calling you to be different than everyone else around you. How will we be different? Where, where do we get the motivation to be different? I think Hosea 3 starts to tell us this. When we read these words that the Lord says to Hosea, go show your love again to your wife, though she is loved by another man. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. We're not going to get into a lot of those specifics, but the idea is God has said his people have stopped being different. They're doing what everyone else around them is doing, and they're causing a lot of noise. And God says, Hosea, you are going to show them my love. And the truth of the matter is God loves us in spite of our sin. Or, you know, uh, what, what it can all be boiled down to our unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness to who he is, which is sin. And we read here that as Hosea 3 goes, God says to Hosea, you're going to be an example, and you're going to go show your wife, your kids, your people, anybody who wants to notice, this is who God is. And he loves us in spite of our sin. Is anybody here a sinner? Adam already knows everyone else. You know? I like it, buddy. You have a great time. All right? Who's a sinner? Who's a sinner? All of us. Church, who's a sinner? All of us. So there's no us first them. There's no, uh, we aren't the sinners and they are the sinners. We are all sinners. Now, Hopefully, as God's people, as we're learning to be different, as we're learning to live out the love of God, we are sinning less and less and less. But until we get to heaven, I believe Scripture teaches we will always sin. Hopefully, not as overtly or as intentional or habitual as before. The issue 
was that the people of God were unfaithful to the covenants that he had called them to. They started, you know, in, in, in Deuteronomy 7, which if you do our devotions, which those of you watching online, you can find either in our app or online, or any of you can find it in the app or online. Deuteronomy 7 reminds the people of why God called them out. And here's what the words of Deuteronomy said. The Lord did not set his affection on you, saying to the nation of Israel, and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath, his covenant, he swore to your ancestors, that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. See, at this point in time, the nation of Israel thought they had something to do with it. They thought they had something to do with God choosing them. And sometimes the struggle for us, us seasoned believers, us seasoned saints. See, once you come to know Jesus, you're a saint. So it doesn't matter, you know, uh, you know your age at that point. But I'm talking about those of us who have been around the block of the faith a while. You know, the seasoned saints. We can think that it's because of what we do for the Lord or how we have been faithful to the Lord or that we go to the right church and not another church. Or we don't do this. And the book of Hosea says it isn't about that. It's about God looked down and loved and chose us out of his love. John 3.16, as many of you may know, some of you hopefully don't know it, because you may not be familiar. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world, that whoever should believe in him shall have life. It goes on to say he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And we see here in chapter 3, yes, there's going to be moments of, of discipline, but God isn't condemning these people. He is choosing to love them, and love is an action. It's a choice. God says to Hosea, go love. And he's not talking about a feeling here. Can you imagine? We don't know because the story isn't about Hosea. Can you imagine just the heartache he had to choose of he had to obey God. He knew God's ways were right, but he's being asked to do, to go redeem the person who has not only broken his heart, but kind of took it out, stepped on it, and went their own way. And he is said, he said to go love her. Now this word in the Hebrew can mean lots of things, but directly in this context it's talking about a deliberate choice to show love. A deliberate choice not just to say, hey, go tell them or you love her, but go show it. And this is what God does for us. He deliberately chose to show Love. And so Hosea does uh, what he is asked to do. He pays the debt, he ransoms his wife. So I bought her, verse 2, for 15 shekels of silver and about a horn and a leaf of barley. 
you know, we don't quite understand that. The point isn't necessarily what the value was or was not. The point is that she had a debt that was not his, as Hosea, to pay, but he did it anyways. And those of you who are seasoned Christians, you can see how much, if we look at the book of Hosea, we, we see the story of Jesus. It's not because he had to pay our debt, but he chose to pay our debt. It wasn't his debt to pay, it was ours. He said, I can do that because I love you. And so he does. He goes. He shows love. And he tells her what this is to look like. She was in slavery of some sorts, right? It was a debt paid. She couldn't do it herself. And sometimes in our culture, we think uh, that what, what freedom is is the ability to do whatever we want, whatever we want, as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. I mean, even those who don't know Jesus realize that if you're going to hurt somebody else, that's not freedom. But I'm here to say, I'm here to say what God says, I think. And in my understanding, this is what he says. It says here in Hosea 3, is freedom comes with boundaries. Freedom isn't to do whatever you want, whenever you want, as long as no one else is hurt. There are boundaries which would create the freedom. We bought into this lie that the greatest uh, thing we can have is freedom. It, it would be similar as I read one of my commentaries this week, not sure which one, that said a, a fish, uh, a fish, you know, is able to breathe where? In the water. It gets oxygen from the water. Now, if I were to go to the fish, in fact, uh, the kids and I tried to fish the other day, and I used that try intentionally and very loosely. I think all we caught was a rock. You couldn't even bring it up, right, Daniel? Or something. Sissy caught a boat. Yeah, Sissy caught a boat, you know. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, uh, you know. We didn't bring that one home, trust me. You know, uh, but we were trying to catch a, a, a fish or two. And, and I could say to the fish all I want, hey, I'm going to free you from your environment. Here, come on shore. You will be free. Of what will happen? It will die. But I'm getting in a world without boundaries, per se. It has all the oxygen it may want, I could say. But it wasn't meant to live on land. We, as God's people, weren't meant to live in this idea of freedom where I can do whatever I want. We were meant to live in a freedom that has the boundaries that says within this there is no penalty. And Hosea says, look, you're going to come and you, you want to come and you will live with me many days and you're not going to go out and do whatever you are. You will behave differently and I will behave to you as God behaves to you. We, as God's people, are called to be different which doesn't mean we do whatever we want. It means for God's people, whether we like it or not, there are things that may be off limits, not because they are bad, but because they don't produce true freedom. It means 
that I don't get to retaliate against people who say things that may not be 100% true, just to prove I'm okay. It doesn't mean I get to share the dirt that I heard from somebody else. Did you hear what so-and-so did this week? Called gossip. Gossip isn't spreading necessarily lies. Gossip is speaking the truth to someone who doesn't need to know that truth at the time of teaching them that truth. It may be completely true, but does the person I'm telling need to hear that? Do I have permission to share that? Even if it's something maybe good. And if I'm not, then to share it to anybody is gossip. And I think when we receive this, freedom in God, in Christ, comes with boundaries. God never says in his love, I love you so much, just go do whatever you want. And he says here, the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or stones, the, the ephod, the, the, you know, the things that he set up. In other words, and afterwards the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in those last days. The messianic hope that Christ fulfills. But it meant they had to be different. But where does this, what does this mean for you and me? We have to start, I think, where Hosea starts, and it is this. You are loved. Period. You are loved. And so is everyone else. They are loved. Part of what our world is struggling with is where do I find love? What shows love to me? Or I don't feel love, so I'm going here and there and everywhere. And they're being left wanting something deeper. And sometimes we have to just sit and create a space for people to start to feel loved again. And then they may start to hear the truth of Scripture. Where they will go, oh, there really is something to this Jesus God. You are loved. Now, some of you, I said that, and, and you immediately went, but you don't know what I've done or, or not done. And, and here's the second truth, which comes from really this one. Even though you have, you can fill in that blank. I don't care what that is. God still loves you. Doesn't mean you're always living like God wants. He loves you enough that He wants you to be different. He's called you to be different, but He still loves you. For God so loved the world, His only begotten Son. I don't, I don't care what you put in. I don't care necessarily what someone else puts in. Will we still do the hard work of loving someone even when they don't think they are lovable? Not that we've always agreed with it, we will not. We cannot. But here, the truth is God is faithful. Amen? Amen. God is faithful. 
And because God is faithful, our actions don't negate his love. The question is whether we're living in and out of his love. And the security of his love. The story of Hosea, the story of Gomer and Hosea is she, whatever reason, didn't feel like there was that love there, didn't, wasn't secure in that love, so she went away. Israelite didn't feel like there, the love God had for them was enough. That they needed something more than the love Jesus has for them that God has for us. So they went with everything else that was going around. And God faithfully said, look, it's not okay, but guess what? I have not given up on you. My blessings may not be there anymore. But it doesn't mean my love is not there. So our response is to live in God's love and live God's love out. First, you've got to live in it. You've got to experience the love of God. And maybe that's because you have done things. Hear, hear the words of Hosea 3, where God is saying to the nation of Israel, Though you are unfaithful, I am faithful. I still love. I still want what is best for you. I still want you to be different. You are loved by God. Doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want. That isn't the love of God. But He does love you. He wants what is best for you. And He will challenge you to be different. What does our world need? Lots of things. But it will boil down to really maybe another question that's not on the screen. Well, if I would have thought of it better, quicker, it would be there. The question is how will we love our world? Once again, Paul in the letter. Corinthians it says, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, only resounding gong or a claiming simple. If I have the gift of prophecy to fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I might boast, but do not love, I gain nothing. We can have all the right words. We can have all the right answers. We can know everything there is to know, but if we do not love, I will tell you what will happen. The world will sit there with their remote in hand and go mute at best. That word still go. Can I change the chair? I'm just going to turn them off. We will say later on, these three remain. <clears throat> Faith, hope, and love. 
but the greatest of these is love. Why? We read over and over in the Old Testament the love of God is powerful enough to bring a nation back. The love of God is powerful enough that when Christ on the cross out of his love for us and for humanity died for us, that it can break the chains of sin, of pride, of self-centeredness, of unlovableness. You put it in the blank, and it's there. But also because of love, not only is God sovereign, but we have a choice to make. I don't know that Gomer had much of a choice, but my guess is she still could have not come. She would have still been there. She still would have been shackled. But so can we. You can say, well, that sounds good, but I think we can stay here. Well, you could still be shackled. God will say, I'm always calling you out of his love. There's a better way. There's a different way. And that's what we can walk out. A freedom, not a freedom to do anything and everything. A freedom to be loved and to live out a life of love. For God is love. Not a love that the world always gives. A love that is powerful enough to do, as we know the rest of the story, the nation did come back. God had messed up again for a while. It did come back to some extent because of the power of love. So, friends, let us live out God's love. That is powerful enough. And sometimes it is by the power of love. Lives are transformed, not because of what is said or not said, but because we will faithfully love down through the generations. That is our hope. Will you pray with me, Father God, we thank you for this time. Lord, as we continue to worship uh, through this closing song, as we continue to worship you through... through the way we live this week, when may we be reminded of your love for us. May we be reminded that regardless of what we've done, you still love, and if we would lean into your love, you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That you will cleanse us so that we can be like you, be different. And so, Lord, may we learn that power of that love and it may be given away, because we know your love will never run dry. That it is always a fountain that it can never be turned off. It's a spring that never runs dry. And so, Lord, may we lean into your love this day. And may we love one another as we love ourselves. Not loving ourselves as if uh, we are the best and the most important thing, but loving ourselves because you love us. And so it's natural. It becomes natural by the power of the Spirit to love us. So Lord, we thank you for the book of Hosea, for this truth that it is teaching us about your love for your people and the love that says be different in this world, this day. Lord, we thank you and we love you because you first loved us. We pray this in the name of love, in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen.
Will you please stand if you are able as we sing this hymn, I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary, the hill of love. 